Hello, Dr. Tim Jordan here. Welcome back to Raising Daughters. And today I have a special guest. Uh, I have a, a doctor who lives in Athens, Georgia, actually. And since we can't get out much these days, we can't fly about, I thought we would just do a podcast uh, and do an interview. And the, the person we're going to talk to today is Lynetta Willis. She's actually a doctor, Lynetta Willis. And she's a psychologist, a family empowerment coach. She's a founder and CEO of Inner Pathways Coaching and Consulting, which is, that's a mouthful. And, uh, and I, I loved her website. And she can give you her website uh, as, we, as we mosey along here. But she's doing a lot of really cool things with adults, helping them to kind of work through issues in their life that might be impacting them, things from their past that are impacting them in their present life. But, so welcome to the show. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh my, that's me. Sorry. Oops. <laughs> Got it off. <laughs> um, well, I thought maybe I would start. You're very uh, forthright and honest with your with your story on your website. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say anything that you don't want to be said, but I thought it might be interesting just briefly for you to tell us your story. You went through a lot of adversity growing up, and obviously, that, well, obviously, it, I think it impacted who you became, what you're doing with your life. So maybe if you could just give us a little summary of, of the kind of the adversities that you went through as a kid. Absolutely. Uh, so I was raised in what I like to call the um, under the stable misery or the sorry, stable misery, sorry, the four horsemen mindset. And that is, uh, I say the four horsemen, that's, that's the, uh, the four things that were often used to keep kids in line growing up. So it was pain, blame, shame, and avoidance. Right. And those were the four things <laughs> that were used to keep us in line whenever we got out. And as I grew, I mean, of course, that felt very normal to me as a child, but as I grew, I realized I had a, what I call a come to Jesus moment with my sister. I have a sister who's 20 years younger than me. Hmm. And there was an experience I had with her where um, I yelled at her and threatened her one day. She was a tiny in a little high chair. And I, I told her, you know, don't make me come over there or something like that. And in that moment, it was like this almost out of body experience where I froze and I realized like, what am I doing? Because I realized those exact words were said to me many times growing up. And I realized how small it made me feel and how shameful it made me feel. And I can still see her face. She's in her twenties now, but I can still see her face, you know, and just how sad and deflated she looked in that moment. And in that moment, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids, but I decided, I said, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to raise myself and my family differently because this cannot continue. And I always say, you know, I don't say that to reverse shame my family. I think, you know, they raised me how they were raised and, you know, so on and so forth. It goes back. Um, but I did realize that, you know, somebody has to stand up and say, this is going to be different. And as I grew up, I, I had a lot of self-worth issues. And I was bullied in school um, pretty bad. I was um, molested when I was younger by some trusted family friends. And all of these different things started to feed into this belief that I wasn't good enough. I'm not worthy of protection and support, all of these things. And that ultimately, with those, all those, those stories that were filtering around in my head, led me to get into relationships that weren't healthy and that were abusive. Um, and I decided after I graduated from college that I was going to change my life and things were going to be different. And I was going to 
shed all of this. And the way that I decided I was going to do it was I was going to get a really expensive education and think my way out of my traumatic experiences. <laughs> so I went to graduate school. <laughs> I know. I went to graduate school. I specialized in all the things I thought I was going to need, trauma healing and family and couples and parenting and all of this stuff and got into practice and started helping people. Um, and when my husband and I got married, I realized, darn it, it didn't work. All those things that I paid all this education to heal out of my you know, life, they were still there and they were starting to bubble up in my marriage with my husband. Um, and so, and I, they, we ended up in what I call a stable misery marriage hmm. where things felt, you know, things weren't, they weren't bad. They were stable. You know, I was safe, um, but we were miserable. You know, we just weren't happy. Things just didn't feel good. Um, and we were just repeating the same cycles again and again and again, same patterns again and again and again. Good for, um, you. Good for you for being conscious, even when you were a little girl, because mm -hmm. a lot of people in your situation just numb out. Yeah, just roll along, and um, but what? But you made a definite commitment to yourself way back when you were. I, I can't remember how old you said you were, thirteen or something. That said, I'm going to do it different. And all that training, even though you're kind of poo-pooing it, it's not really <laughs> causing you to heal. It's still all part of your journey. And all along the way, it sounds like you trusted your gut and you followed your urges that said, I need, I need something different. I did, I did, and you're right. I, I, I wouldn't trade my training for the world because it. It did. It, it didn't get deep down, yeah. you know, the deep down stuff, but it put me on the path where I realized that I needed to heal. Right. And that sent me into relationships with people that helped me to heal this stuff out. And when I, um, when Patrick and I, Patrick's my husband, um, we started to realize that we were having these issues and, um, really started focusing heavily on our marriage and what ended up coming out of that, which was such a blessing, um, was a path, I mean, a framework that I now use called the paths model um, that I use to help other people to, who are stuck in stable misery or who are repeating past patterns that they just can't seem to break free from yeah. um, to get out of those situations themselves without, you know, a ton of education. Yeah. Sometimes people ask me, um, I used to teach parenting classes, my wife and I did. I've done a, a gazillion things. They would say, if you could give one piece of advice to parents, what would it be? And I tell mm -hmm. them the best thing that I ever did, and I, th and I think it's true for all of us, is do your own personal growth. To clean out some, your baggage. I, there was a, a, a child psychiatrist years ago, back in the 50s, I believe. Her name was Selma Freiberg. And she coined a phrase called ghosts in the nursery. And if you've ever, I'm not sure if you've ever read about that, but what she meant was there's things that happen growing up, like you're describing for yourself, that end up becoming unresolved issues. And there's still some feelings and some pain and some whatever. And we just kind of go forward. But those kinds of things tend to come back and haunt us in our parenting. Yeah. They get triggered. And that's kind of what you found in your marriage. I, I, I'm guessing maybe it was also triggered with your child rearing. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, it was interesting with... My children, um, I found myself in a situation where I really, really wanted to, because I had all this knowledge and all this education, but what I found is that children don't care. <laughs> they don't care how much you know. Um, and so 
they would do things that would absolutely trigger me. Yeah. And they would bring up old things. And I found that each of our children triggers us differently. So my, um, my daughter triggers my husband a lot. Like he just, ah, he gets so frustrated. I'm sorry, my son, my son. No, my, let me see. My, yes, my daughter triggers my husband and my son triggers me. And it's interesting because I realized that very early on, like we're so much alike. There's so much like each of us, right? My son is like me and my um, daughter's like my husband. So those aspects of us, you know, what many refer to as those shadow aspects of us that our children reflect back to us, those parts of us that we bury in the basement that we say like, no, I don't want those, those, you, you guys stay there. Our children are beautiful, amazing mirrors. And they say, look at this thing you've buried. I'm going to pull it out and like dance a jig with it in front of your face. Yeah. All right. And, and so it really is in the moment, it doesn't feel like it, but it, it really is a gift because what it does is it gives us insight into what still needs to be healed, what still if, needs to be dealt with. If you're open. Yes. If you're open to it. Exactly. Open, open and conscious of what's going on. I mean, I think most people are not. Mm. They just get triggered and triggered and triggered and they just they keep blaming their daughter or their son yeah. or, their, or their boss or whomever and they just keep staying stuck. Mm -hmm. Very true. So mm -hmm. let, me, let me go back. You, you obviously developed a whole bunch of unhealthy beliefs about yourself along the way. Mm -hmm. and I'm curious about two things. First, um, how did you reframe those? What, what process did you go through that helped you to sort of get out of that cycle? Uh, of negative thinking and, and negative belief systems about yourself. And number two, when you're working with people as a, as a therapist, how do you use that to help people get through their old, old belief systems? Absolutely. So how I recognized it, I, it was actually through a mystical experience. I was in a, um, in a, what do you call it? In a creative arts workshop with some colleagues of mine. And the direction we were given was to um, write a story. And the only rule, the only thing was it just had to begin with once upon a time. Hmm. And I was like, okay, we had been in this workshop for half a day already. And I wrote once upon a time and this story just poured out of me onto the paper. It was just like I was writing. And, and I know it sounds weird when I said like, I, I didn't literally hear a voice, but it was like, it was almost like that. It was this deep yeah. sense of it to the point where I remember mumbling, slow down. I can't write that fast. And yeah. I was just writing, 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 writing. And afterwards I read the story and people were saying, you know, that's a book. You need to write that. That's a children's book, which I ultimately did. It's called my forgotten self. But, um, the, the key that that book did, the book is about a little girl who, um, has all of these dreams and all of these desires, all these things that she wants to do. And her family inadvertently like kind of shuts down everything that she wants to do. And it comes from within them, from a place of their past, their beliefs, their stories that they have. Like you can't be a teacher. Teachers are old, you know, and like all these different things. Uh, so a big piece of the book towards the end is she learns that she is whole and that she is enough and that she is worthy and all of these beautiful things. And that writing that story really um, sent me on a whole different path where I really started to question like, 
who am I at my core, at the core of my being, who am I, you know, and really started to explore that and answer those questions. And I truly believe that we are good, inherently good and inherently worthy. And that, that was a process. That was really a spiritual journey that I went on to get to that point for myself. Um, when I work with my clients, we, a lot of my clients are, um, very spiritual in nature. They would describe themselves as spiritual. So sometimes we go there, but the paths framework that I created is one that helped. I, I gleaned from just working with so many people over 20 years and realizing where people get stuck and paths actually is an acronym for perspective, awareness, tools, healing, and self-empowerment. And what I basically do is I walk through each of these things with them and help them to see how they're showing up is impacting their relationships. So for example, the perspective that uh, usually involves like the stories we tell ourselves, right? And the, the, the mindsets we have, um, the A that's awareness, being aware. So being aware of our stories is key. So important. What are you telling yourself? A stands for awareness. What are your, what body reactions or sensations are coming up for you, say, when you're triggered by your child? What feelings come up for you? Um, being aware of how they tend to respond to you, right? The T stands for tools. I always say, uh, we're always using a tool. The question is never, am I using a tool? It's, is the tool I'm using helpful or unhelpful, right? Mm -hmm. So when you tell yourself these stories and you have these body sensations and these feelings, what tool do you tend to pull out of your box? Do you tend to yell? Do you tend to shut down? What do you tend to do? Um, I always say that um, you know you're triggered when you give a laser beam situation an atom bomb response, right? <laughs> so it's this overarching type of thing. So being able to realize that. Um, and the H stands for healing or honored. So you're aware of these stories and you're aware of these, you have these body reactions and these feelings and you're aware of the tools that you're using. So when you pull all that together, what within you needs to be healed and what within you needs to be honored. And this is something where we often spend a lot of time because sometimes it requires some, a little bit of deep diving. Um, and it could be, I need to heal something from my deep, dark childhood, sure. Or it could be, I need to honor the fact that I'm hungry or I need more sleep or, you know, I mean, it could be different things because all of those things impact how we show up. And the S stands for self-empowerment, which is, okay, you have all of this information about yourself. How can you empower yourself to take a step? Take a step towards joy. What is the next, the very next thing that you can do that's going to bring you closer to joy or bring you closer to where you ultimately want to be? Um, and I can give an example um, with a client if that would be helpful. Sure. Um, so I'm actually uh, working with this mother-daughter duo right now. And the mom, when she first approached me, she was telling herself all kinds of stories my daughter doesn't care about this family. She's always going to be this way. You know, she's just like her father, all of these stories. <laughs> and when she would tell herself these stories, um, it, she, she wasn't aware of it at the time. But first we got really clear on the stories she was telling herself. And then she started to realize when I tell myself these stories, I get tense. I get teary. I get sad. I become afraid. 
Um, you know, what are you aware of in terms of how your daughter responds to you in this, when you have these stories? Well, she pulls back from me. She doesn't want anything to do with me. You know, okay, well, so when you're telling yourself these stories and you're aware of these things within yourself and how you're impacting her, what tools do you tend to use, right? And what she would tend to do is she would tend to raise her voice. She would tend to become more clingy, more consuming of her daughter. Um, and when we got to the healing, it was very interesting because what she realized was that growing up, she didn't have a close relationship with her mother and she desperately wanted one. So what she was ultimately doing was she was saying, I don't want, I want to have a close relationship with my daughter. I want my daughter to know that I love her. I want to be close to her. So she was going and clinging so tight that it was ultimately pushing her daughter away. And she couldn't see that because she hadn't healed a lot of the wounds and the sadness that she was carrying around within herself related to how she was. So she was basically recreating or trying to avoid recreating the situation and ultimately was having the opposite effect. Yeah. And so, but when she did all this stuff, what, what, how she would empower herself because her daughter would push back and pull back is she would control the situation more. So the very thing that she needed to stop doing was what she would have a tendency to do more, which is what we do as parents. A lot of times when we get afraid or we get sad or overwhelmed, we tend to, to hold on tighter or cling more. Um, so what we end, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was gonna say, what we ended up doing was we started transforming those. So as the work I did with the two of them together, her story, mom's story began to change. And there were so many times mom says, I never knew that. I never knew that. I never saw it that way. Because first of all, she finally sat down and actually started listening to what her daughter was telling her. Um, and what she, so the story she tells herself now is she thinks I'm a good mom. She loves me. She just needs space, which is very, very true. Her daughter's very introverted and is, um, an internal processor, which is the opposite of mom. And she didn't, mom didn't realize that her daughter functioned this way. So daughter needs space and mom's like, no, come, come. Um, and then when she started telling herself these stories, she realized um, that she started to feel more relief in her body, right? And her daughter was talking to her more. Um, and then the tools that she started to use were more conscious tools, a conscious use of tools and more helpful tools. So she would stop approaching her daughter and allow her daughter to approach her. And I remember one time she called and she left me a message and she said, oh my gosh, usually when she comes down for breakfast, she'll say, I'll say like, how'd you sleep? What did you dream about? What did you do? How, what time did you go to bed? What time did you turn off your phone? Da, da, da. She said, she came down for breakfast. I didn't say a word. And she said for 30 straight minutes, she sat there and she told us her dream and was all animated about. She's like, she's never done that before. Right. And it all started with mom starting to change the stories and change the tools that she was using and increasing her awareness. And then through some individual sessions that we had together, she really got deep awareness into what needed to be healed. And now the, the self-empowerment tools that she's using is, um, she stops taking responsibility for all the connection that needs to occur in the relationship. Um, she, she'll say like, my daughter's feelings are not my responsibility. I'm curious about them. I'm interested in them. I want to know about them, but it is not my job as a mom to make her smile all the time. Right? So her whole system and her whole approach ultimately shifted. And that ultimately shifted her relationship with her daughter, which is what lights me up.
<laughs> see people doing things like I wonder that. if part of the honoring you do, you do with people also is, is to like kind of take themselves off the hook. Kind of like mm. if I knew then what I know now, I might do it different, but you didn't know that and you didn't have the awareness. And because I think I find people beat themselves up a lot because of their being stuck. And Absolutely. the same thing and, and keep attracting the same bad people, not bad, but, you know, unhealthy people. And, and I think sometimes that can keep them stuck too, if they don't honor that they're doing the best they can. Very, very true. Self-compassion is just as important as self-awareness because sometimes when we become aware, we might not always like what we become aware of. You know, some of those things that come out are not the, the things that, 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 um, that cast us in the, in the best light or so we think. And so it can be really easy to start to feel regret and shame and, you know, all of those different types of things, but you're 100% right. Being able to say like, look, you did the best with what you had. Now you have new information, you know, like the old folks used to say, you know better, you do better. So do better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mentioned on your website that you use uh, brain science and brain research to help people do things different. I was curious about that. Yeah, you know, really a lot of that comes down to education about how the brain works. So things like, um, I call it our, when we become triggered or overwhelmed emotionally, um, we, like the part of our brain that makes decisions and it makes, um, gives what we call our executive functioning part of our brain, right? The part of our brain that makes higher order decisions and tells us, um, that helps us to become aware of things and make good choices, as we say to the kids, that part of our brain shuts down. It shuts down and we don't have as much access to it. And what often happens, especially when um, to parents, and I think this is where a lot of the shame and the guilt comes in. What I often tell them to kind of relieve some of that is so mom or dad will read a book or a blog or something like that. And it'll give them this like five point process that they need to go through to deal with their overwhelming emotions when their kid is triggered. And they'll put it down and their kid will come in and throw a major tantrum and then mom and dad do the exact same thing they always did. And then they're like, I just read the information that I needed. Why can't I do this? And I say, it's not your fault. It's your brain. It's the way your brain works, right? Like our brain works when we get into situations where we're overwhelmed and we can't take things anymore and it's, it's just too much. Our brain naturally shuts down everything that we need, that we don't need, excuse me, to survive. So you don't need to do Euclidean geometry when you're being chased by a lion. So from an evolutionary perspective, that part of our brain learned to shut down, you know, and we just have the things available to us that are able to survive. Now we're not being chased by lions anymore, but when our child comes in and starts screaming and yelling and all of this kind of stuff, the same thing can happen. And the same thing's happening to our child too, right? So we have two people in a space that aren't operating on their highest cognitive level whatever that is, trying to engage. And that often doesn't work, right? So really it comes down to understanding that there are different things that we can do to um, help us to better engage our frontal lobe, like getting back um, what I call the, it's, it's not mine actually, Dan Siegel and Pat Ogden made it up. It's, they call it the window of tolerance. And it's basically like we all have a window of tolerance and it's if you envision it like just a window and when we're in that window 
it's great because even if we're facing adversity and things like that, we're resourceful and we might even welcome challenges, right? Because we have the resources to be able to deal with it. But when we come overwhelmed or triggered and all of these things, what often happens is we find ourselves poking our head out of the window more and more and more, or even getting to the point where I call living on the ledge, which is where we find ourselves overwhelmed or angry or anxious or shut down or disconnected or, you know, giving up low energy, all of that stuff. So the key is to find ways to increase that window, increase the size of that window so that we're living inside of the window more. We have more room to play inside of that window and we're living on the ledge less and less. And there are ways that we can actually help ourselves to increase that tolerance. Yeah, I would think too that if, if you have a history of, of having gone through a lot of trauma, a lot of adversity, that affects your window, right? Oh, yeah. It affects your, sens your amygdala sensitivity. It, it affects all that so that, whereas if you hadn't gone through that, you may have been able to tolerate something or not be triggered. You become hypersensitive to things and then you tend to over overreact or underreact to things because of it. Absolutely. Those of us, this the window of tolerance was actually created um, as, a, as a trauma metaphor uh, for people who were trauma survivors. And that's, that's you nail, nail on the head. You know, those of us who have had more adversity, whether it be because of our neurological makeup or because of modeling, we, our resources may not be, our, our resource toolkit may not be as big right? So we don't have as much in there. And yeah, we have to, we have to work a little bit harder sometimes to be able to stretch that window a little bit wider. Um, and it takes practice, but it is possible. Tell, tell our, our listeners what you mean by embracing legacy blessings. <laughs> so um, I talk about how we come, when we come into the life, into this life, we're gifted with a birthing gift. And I call it a legacy tree. And the legacy tree has two types of fruit. It has legacy blessings and legacy burdens. And the legacy blessings are those things that we experience that we experience at, when we look back as gifts and as things that helped us to evolve or to um, grow into the, the aspects of us that we're proud of or that we, we lean on. Um, the legacy burdens, on the other hand, are those things that we deem as not so helpful, right? Those things that were passed down to us that don't lead us to feel very good or didn't lead to very positive uh, situations in our lives. And our invitation is to prune the burdens and um, really care for and, and increase the blessing fruit so that we can pass that on to our children. And it might not work 100%. You know, I say all the time, I say, you know, it's not our job to eradicate every burden from our lineage ever. Like my hope is I, I, I view um, growth from a legacy perspective, less as a sprint or a marathon and more as a relay race. Right. So I was passed a baton of, of legacy blessings and burdens and I'm going to run my race and then I'm going to pass it on to my kid, you know, and they're going to run their race. And, and hope I hope is that as they grow, they'll turn and they'll say, you know what, you did all right, mom. But these things right here, I think I'm going to dump those. That's not helpful. Or, you know what, these things were awesome and I'm totally going to up those and I'm going to pass those on to my kids. Like that would be that I would have such a huge smile on my face if that was the end result of all of this. 
So it's really about recognizing what those things are and then making conscious decisions about what we want to do with each of them. Yeah. And uh, it, the thing that always worries me, uh, I've been running weekend retreats and summer camps for 30 years, personal growth in nature and kids get a chance to sit in a circle and talk about stuff like this. And they're just kids. They're not like troubled kids. They're just kids, but mm-hmm. they, they all have something to talk about mm. by the time you're, you know, eighth grader or 10th grader, they, you know, they, they have experiences. Some kids have more intense ones than others, but um, what's interesting at the end of the weekend, we have a little hour or so with the parents just kind of describing, these are some of the things that we talked about this weekend. And the parents always say, what are you going to do for us? <laughs> Why don't you do a weekend for us? Why don't you do a summer week for us? I would, actually, my wife and I used to teach some weekend retreats for adults a long time ago. I, oh. And they were, they were great. They were, I mean, the, the weekend retreat we did, my wife and I took it back in 1988, I believe it was. And it, was, it, was, it started my growth. You know, I went through high school, college, medical school, residency, all those things, fellowship, mm-hmm. and never had a chance to do what you did, which was um, – sort of step back and say, what am I doing? You know, mm. I really want to do all this. And so I, so I, I get why parents want that. And I think parents need it. They need, they, they need a safe circle too. I mean, I don't want to do it because I like working with kids, but <laughs> adults are too hard. <laughs> kids are a lot easier. They have less layers. That's so but true. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think everybody needs that. I, mean, I think before you start having kids, it'd be so nice to clean out some of that stuff or at least have an awareness of what what you're bringing with you and what you want to leave behind yeah that's so interesting because one of my one of my thoughts is about creating spaces like that for parents you know where they can just unpack and process um, because really kids are like this prolonged in-depth 18 plus year therapy session. Like that's really what they are. They just, they, you just come in and it's like every single day, they're going to give you an opportunity to deal with your stuff. Like, come on, come on, come on. Um, and so I agree. I really do. And, and I like the complexities. <laughs> that excites me. I love kids yeah. too. Kids are, you're right. They're so much easier <laughs> in terms of. I think looking back, I was, I'm not sure if I was quite this conscious, but we, my wife and I started realizing after running those retreats for a couple of years that most of the stuff that people were talking about, places in their life when they were, they were stuck in as adults, mm-hmm. they had the seeds when they were kids. Yeah. So we thought, why are we waiting until they're 40? Why are we mm-hmm. waiting until they're 50 or whatever? Why don't we give kids a safe place to talk about and work through the stuff as they're going through it so they don't bring it with them when they leave home? Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, the the joy of, of having both is that because those kids are going to go home to those same parents who haven't worked on their stuff and haven't healed their stuff too, right? So it's one of those things where it's like, ideally, right. everybody's doing their work and everybody's getting their stuff done. But I think kids do tend to latch on like they're gonna they rem- they're gonna remember that stuff they're gonna remember what they did in those camps all those years yeah. absolutely and um yeah i think it's 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 needed ideally there'd be like a couple of generations where everybody would do all their healing work kids adults alike could just clean out all the stuff and then we'd live in a grand utopia It'd be beautiful. imagine <laughs> imagine all the people <laughs> god let him wanted the same thing i believe Exactly, he did. <laughs> so you have, a, you have an open invitation to come to camp as a camp counselor. 
Oh, thank you. That would be fun. Whether it's a weekend retreat or a summer camp week, you, you have an open invitation to come. You would love it. You would love our circle time. And I mean, it's, it's also fun. It's camp too. And so, and the nice thing is, and you probably know this from working with adults, once they clear out some of that stuff and they, they share and they, they bond through all that, then our fun is more fun because yeah. they don't care. I mean, they're out there and they, they feel loved and accepted. And so the fun is even funner. If that's, if that's a word. Yes, yes, it is now. No, I totally agree. And I, I think, you know, I talk about our backpack of stuff, you know, and when we don't clean out the backpack, it's heavy and it leaks all over everybody. And, you know, and so, yeah, when you unpack that backpack some, yeah, life is a lot lighter. You know, <laughs> you took out some of that baggage and now you're able just to relax and be, be you you know, and not who you think you should be, which I think is a big thing that kids especially have to face these days. Yeah. Well, Dr. Lynetta Willis, thank you so much for coming on to, to um, Raising Daughters. And why don't you get, tell people what, what your website is so they can go and see all the things that you do. Yes, yes, yes. So if you want more information, I have a, 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 a thing on my website that you can get at www.healingstablemisery.com and it outlines the paths framework and gives you really specific questions that you can use to take yourself through the paths uh, model that I that I described and get really specific questions that you can use on specific in a specific about a specific relationship that you're in especially with your kids please parents go download this be so helpful so that you can experience um, some transformation in that realm so that's healingstablemisery.com and then my main website is drlwillis.com so drl is in ladybug willis w-i-l-l-i-s.com Great. We really appreciate you coming on. And parents, I hope, hope you learned a lot of, from this. If, and if nothing else, that, that you need to take a good hard look in the mirror mm -hmm. because we're all bringing stuff to our parenting. Some of, it's, some of it's blessings, like you say. Some of it is good stuff that we want to repeat. But there, there are some things that maybe we don't want to repeat as causing us to be in stuck patterns with our kids, maybe with our spouses. And so it pays to take the time to do your own personal growth work. I think yes. you explained that very well today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We'll be back with another, another uh, Raising Daughters podcast in two weeks. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy, keep your distance, but also, uh, also come together and make sure you connect with your kids a lot. We'll be back in two weeks with another podcast. Uh, thanks for joining in. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.